people deluded i'm back again good morning i hope you're all doing well and safe on this tuesday morning peace and blessings blessings and peace you know like i said i hope you're all in good spirits now welcome back to another edition of the dg podcast the deluded podcast the really and truly podcast that is what it is podcast every day you lot remind me of a word or a phrase i say excessively i apologize for that but i'm happy you're all well and safe i'm happy you're all back for another edition if you're new here you know make sure you hit the follow button across spotify across whatever it is on apple music you're hitting the subscriber button on youtube or if you don't even know i do youtube you head over to the youtube channel because there's a bunch of content and there's different strokes for different folks now we've seen a hell of a lot of premier league action people you know nothing's changed other than arsenal fail to gain three points and keep losing and keep stressing out your boy there isn't much more to it people really and truly so we might as well jump into it and talk quite frankly about the Premier League people really really and truly where should we start should we start with my team Arsenal obviously North London derby you're hoping form goes out of the window and I'm not going to sit here and lie when I look at it without emotion I'm not happy to lose to Spurs I'm not happy to lose 2-0 it's not an acceptable defeat but it's not like we were woeful and you know there was people not concentrating 24-7 and it was the typical Arsenal defeat that being said same old same old you know, it's the same old, same old, you know, a lack of spirit, a lack of intent. Certain players are standing up to be counted and rising to the occasion. Other players are hiding. Um, I don't think we was helped by the tactics. You know, we were just like against Wolves. We're hitting new records for crossing the ball. How many times are these crosses actually finding a man? You know, Jose Mourinho's sides are the foundation is to defend how you defend two banks of form being difficult to break down you're not going to break them down with crosses there's no invention or intention with our passes players take no responsibility in that regard so it's a bad cocktail we're steady and free fall you know for me as well I think the players have to be up for the occasion but Mikel Arteta got it wrong you know he went he risked Partey in hindsight that wasn't the wisest of things to do I thought he would have went with El Nene. he went with Granit Xhaka can we be surprised what happened in that regards you know Hector Bellerin was woeful of his own accord and Bellerin, you know, another game, another foul throw. I think he's made five of the 16 in the Premier League. He needs to fix up. But at the end of the day, Bellerin isn't picking himself. I do think Arteta was telling his fullbacks to bomb forward. And I guess you could attribute that to one of the goals because Bellerin is caught high up the field. But saying that, I think it's down to the players and common sense. Just because your manager tells you get forward doesn't mean you forget the foundations. You know, Bellerin is flying forward like a headless chicken and there's not one intention to get back. There's no thought process to get back. When you're mediocre going forward and you're poor defensively, it's not a good rock cocktail. He's not the modern day fullback. He's 25 turning 26. He's played 200 odd times for Arsenal. He's played 169 times in the Premier League. And I'm still asking, can you take a throw in? I'm still begging you for consistency. Bellerin sums up all what's wrong with this club. You know, the warning signs were there. Do you not remember in the first minute, Holding tries to play a pass to Bellerin. It's cut out by Lo Celso. Eventually, um, Harry Kane is brought down by Xhaka. You know, we've got naive players, we've got underperforming players. It's just a, you know, you have to question the manager's tactics as well because for me, I've got more blame for those above him because it's no coincidence we had a poor summer and we're here and the players are poor. You know, players are hiding. But at the same time, I don't see a blueprint. When you look at possession stats, chance created stats, goals in the Premier League, yeah, there's plenty of teams better than us. 
But without emotion, if you look at some of the 11s or some of their attacking players, are they better? No. So that has to be attributed to the players for A, refusing to wake up, and two, the tactics. And for me, on the topic of tactics, you know, Arteta is a decent tactician. He's beat Jurgen Klopp, you know, he's beat Pep Guardiola, he's beat Frank Lampard. But this season, I've seen you beat a woeful Scott Parker side against Fulham. You know, fair enough, you beat Manchester United, you beat them last year, but it's an underperforming side and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's not levels, if you're real. You know, when you've gone against, for me, that's the one concern, major concerning thing with Arteta. When he's gone against credible managers or the top bracket of managers within the Premier League, um, he struggled, you know. Jose Mourinho, the, the latest example. Um, Jose Mourinho's 2-0 up against a team he doesn't lose to at home. I think that was his 12th or 11th win against Arsenal at home, you know. They're winning 2-0. Why is he making the subs, you know, to, to, to solidify the game? Same as Wolves, you know. He lost it in that regard. Yeah, like against Wolves, Arsenal huffed and puffed in the second half, but he didn't make Loris work. You know, shout out to, 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 to Son. What a goal it was. You know, Harry Kane, forget his goal and assist. The amount of defending he did and the amount of gamesmanship he did, he, he showed why he's a good striker. I saw everything in Spurs that I don't see in Arsenal. Man to a man, they didn't want to let the managers down. They didn't want to let the fans down. They didn't want to let the teammates down. Most importantly, they didn't want to let themselves down. They all wanted to stand up to be counted. You don't get the vibe. You don't get that vibe from Arsenal. You know, they're not leaving it all dead. You know, it's not like football is life or death. They know that another opportunity he's coming when I looked at Spurs every player from the strikers to the to the keeper whether you're you know Harry Kane in terms of being a quality player or you're someone like Aurier it seemed like everybody didn't want no one to take their shirt from them Arsenal players are not playing like they want to play every game and I keep seeing the same old underperforming players play I have to get Arteta back to the topic of tactics you know take nothing away from Spurs from Leicester from Wolves from Leeds from Aston Villa because Arsenal are poor but they, they can't uh, attribute for that I think we've struggled against any team this season that's had a manager that's you know a good coach or like the tier top towards the more top end of Premier League coach or they've had a, a long time to make their mark on a team you know I don't understand. We've struggled and Arteta has struggled. He's not read the signs before the game. Like against Villa, he struggled against Dean Smith. We didn't start well. There was nothing to change it in that regard. The Spurs game, we didn't start well. Bielsa, fair enough, he got a point, but he was never in it. Brendan Rodgers did a similar performance to Jose Mourinho. And again, it's not learning, not to learning from mistakes, you know, not learning. And, you know, as much as I think I blame the players and people above them for um, for for the mess before I get Arteta, Jose's been in the job more or less the same time as you. And you can already see his mark on the team. So these excuses of tactics, of game plan, of he needs better players, they only go so far. You know, players need to stand up to be counted because I only saw Gabriel, Tierney, you know, young Bakayo Saka at a push. And I think Lacazette in that 10 roll put a shift in Partey in the minutes. But again, Partey was a gamble that failed. Abamian's missing. And yeah, when you've got no midfield connecting to the strikers, it's difficult. But Abamian seems like a passenger. He seems like he's resigned to defeat as well. Don't understand why Reese Nelson wasn't in the squad. Would have started El Nene. Think Maitland Niles deserved a run out in midfield or at fullback. You know, you're going with Xhaka. He, he's not dynamic enough. You're going against a team that's very dynamic, that's going to split you on the counter-attack, that's very energetic in the midfield. You need runners to give yourself half a chance. You gave yourself half a chance against United, against their players. Why are you doing this now? Because Xhaka is not repaying your faith, you know. I've said it. If I'm Bellerin, if I'm William, if I'm Xhaka, the player keeps the manager, and the manager's stupid for it now. 
Keep standing by you and you keep putting in poor performances. It's just not on and Arsenal are steady and free flow. We've got Burnley next week. That's for the Friday edition of the Deluded Podcast. It is what it is. For Spurs, these last three games in particular, I have to applaud them because that's what you had. That's, that's, they're looking like a team that had a goal in August, whether that's to win silverware or get back in the Champions League. They said to themselves, we're going to stay together. And I've seen it, you know, in the three games, Arsenal, the last one, you know, against Leicester, I mean, against Chelsea, against City and against us. Needed to stand up to be counted. I'm sure Spurs fans weren't scared of us. And I'm sure everyone, every Spurs fan will proclaim they always had faith. But I'm pretty sure that potential nine-pointer threw up a lot of concerns. They've risen to the occasion. What, they've taken eight points, forgive me if I'm wrong. And my maths is poor. Seven points, forgive me. Um, what, they beat, they beat, wait, yeah, seven points. A draw with Chelsea, that's one. Six points off United, off City and and Arsenal. That's fantastic. And obviously, you know, they're doing their thing. But from Arsenal, again... We have all we hear about analytical data and tactics and the players have to do what what sending paragraphs how they think the game went and all of this stuff. They're not learning. They're not learning. Were they thinking about all week about this Spurs game? Because me with limited resources, I can tell you about this Spurs team. They're scoring hella goals, they'll cut you up on the counter attack. They're doing well in terms of clean sheet. You can't switch off. And we did. Atrocious. There's only so much Arteta can tell you. I don't think these players play for themselves, you know. I want them to play for the fans. I want them to play for the club. I want them to play for the manager. But players are not playing for themselves. Players, every game you play, you should be out there trying to have a cement a legacy. William, you're 32. You're not going to be around longer. Bellerin, you're turning 26, you know. Abamian, you're 30-odd. Xhaka, you're, you, you know, you're towards the, the late 20s. Cement your own individual legacies, both as footballers and, and at Arsenal, because you're not counting the days, you know. I mean, you're not making the days count. You're just counting the days. We're just accepting everything. And it doesn't seem like it's that deep. You don't get the vibe that football is life or death. And for me, the most jealous thing I am with football right now is when I look at every club, whether it's Spurs, whether it's Wolves, whether it's Southampton, any club people, every damn other club is looking like a football team apart from us. We don't look like a football team. We don't look like a football team. And that's what kills me the most personally, people. We just sadly do not look like a football team. With that being said, like I said, congratulations to Spurs. Three points, 2-0. Arsenal had a bag of, clean sh- bag of, um, bag of possession, made nothing happen. 2-0, clean sheet, three points. North London derby is what it is. Harry Kane, obviously, is the record goal scorer for goals in this. And, you know, former Arsenal man doing it for Spurs. He firmly is a villain. You know, they missed Endombele. They didn't miss him based on that game. And that's how, that's that's what shows a team. When it's Arsenal, we always talk about this player's missing, that player's missing. Of course, you know, if Spurs miss Harry Kane, there's a dent to their side. Or Liverpool miss players. Or Laporte last year for City. But it's a, it's a squad game. There's 38 Premier League games. You need to be at it. Players are going to be injured, you know. It's quite crazy, man. You know, and like I said, with that... Jose Mourinho has taken charge of more home games in all competitions without defeat against Arsenal than he has versus any other side. He has won seven and drawn four in the 11 home ties. Mikel Arteta is just the second manager to lose each of his first two North London derbies after Bertie Mee in 1966-67. Spurs have now won consecutive North London derbies for just the third time in their history. Um, stick that in the trophy cabinet. I guess Spurs fans, I had two people. I've been praising them too much. they done it in 92 and 93. Well, between December 92 and May 93. And they also did it in, in the reverse fixtures in April 2010 and... Well, in April 2020 and likewise in November. So the less said about Arsenal, the better. Let's talk about other football, other football people now. You know... <clears throat> 
Manchester United and coming away and coming from behind away from home seems to be a theme. You know, we'll get onto it, but Paul Pogba scored and you've heard his agent's comments, but Suchek, West Ham have been playing well this season. There was even talk of Moy signing a new deal. Apparently it's been clipped. Um Suchek scored and gave them the gave West Ham the lead in the thirty eighth minute before you obviously saw a second half fight back by Manchester United. You know, I, I know they clipped they clipped Cavani. Um, I don't know if there's an injury there, but Paul Pogba scored a quite a good goal. And obviously Marcus Rashford and Greenwood um within ten minutes of each other took the lead in fact really and truly when you look at the goal 60 Pogba scored and it, you know they saved it in the last well under half an hour to go people and for, for for West Ham you could see the gaps there was poor game management from them but you know Pogba bagged in the 65th Greenwood in the 68th and Rashford in the 78th and I'm happy for Greenwood to score because you lot know you know he's sadly not by his own accord but his name's plastered over the papers consistently for nonsense that has nothing to do with him now the man's made his mistake let him move on you know so it's good to see he gets a goal Cavani I don't know if it's an injury but yeah man he played his way into the starting lineup based off the other games you know Van der Beek was clipped Martial is woeful behaving woeful and again at 25 years of age we're still talking about his Martial strike or a winger I think that guy's got a lot of potential but he's got to realise it and he didn't want to score he missed a, he missed a barrage of efforts as well I think Tellez struggled as well personally, but United won't care. They came from behind, they got three points. Ole Gullasosha is hanging on by a, by a thread. Whenever his job's on the line, he makes something happen. And for West Ham, you know, they played well, but ultimately it's just like Southampton. You know, when you take the lead, especially against Man United with their counter-attacking play, there has to be game management and they were very naive. United keep fighting back. I'm sure United fans are not happy with Ole Gullasosha, the way they're making games at home and away harder than it needs to be. You know, but at the end of the day, three points from behind keep marching on and every point counts, people. With that, Manchester United have won their first five Premier League away games in a league campaign for the first time since 1985-86. Bit of history for Ole Gullit Solskjaer. This was the fourth time West Ham have faced Manchester United in a Premier League game whilst being above them in the table. However, much like this game, they have failed to win any of those fixtures. Following their win tonight, well, I say tonight at the time, Manchester United have now won more points from losing positions than any other team in Premier League history. So that is that's that, on one hand that shows fight back and whatnot, but under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it does show fight, but but it also shows concern. It's a bit like Uno Emre when we were fighting back, and I it, it worked for a couple of games, but then I said in my videos and the penny dropped for many people's like, if we have to keep coming from behind, changing things at half time, are we starting the games in the best way? Potentially not. So make of that what you will. Raheem Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne, you know, one um, scored both for their team, Manchester City, as they won 2-0 against Fulham. Better second half from Fulham. At the end of the day, I think Fulham can leave with some pride. 2-0, it's not quite the cricket score you'd expect, considering City had 15 shots, 5 on target, 69% possession, 793 passes to your 351. You did all right. Probably didn't, should have scored, should have had a goal. I think, you know, at the end of the day, playing better in the second half doesn't get you three points. But I do think there are some positives Fulham can take. I think in the second half, they had more of a goal, man. I think Lookman tried to get on the ball. I think, um, is it Tolson in the centre-half he tried? You know, Anya's quite poor. Anderson, you know, was quite poor in that regard. I think Anguisa tried. Bobby Reed tried to think. Shout to the yard man, Bobby Reed. Um, Tom Craney, when he came on, I think he looked off the pace. But it's, it is what it is, man. They put them to the death. And to be fair, they should have scored more City, in my opinion. But it is what it is. I'm sure Fulham would have expected to lose that game. With that, though, people, folks. And, 
yeah, full, Fulham, yeah, people, Fulham just got smoked, really. Well, they done better than they could. And with that, Manchester City have scored as many goals over the last two Premier League games as they have conceded in their previous seven in the competition. Um, you know, Fulham have conceded more goals than any other Premier League side this season, with no side conceding more in different games than the Cottagers. With 10, Man City are unbeaten in their last 16 meetings with Fulham in all competitions, winning the last 10 in a row by an aggregate scoreline of 29-3. to They've had, in the in that run, in the, in the 16, they've had three draws and won 13 times. Um, and obviously for Manchester City, they secure back-to-back wins for the first time this season, people. So again... Manchester City need to put a run of consistency together if they want to wrestle back that league title from Liverpool. You had Burnley against Everton. That's of interest to me because we've got Everton soon. We've got Southampton soon, who I'm going to look at um, the game I've recorded um, yesterday and we'll look on, on the weekend. We've got Burnley on the weekend. They took the lead in the third minute with with Robbie Brady. Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored in, in added on time in the first half. Both teams drew 1-1, take a share of the spoils. For Everton, you know, they're dropping silly points this season after quite a fast start. For Burnley, you know, I'm sure they'll take pride in the fact that they, they, they got a point, but, you know, they took the lead, so they they must feel like they've dropped two points. I did feel full, um, Everton, apologies, had a numerous amount of chances to rob the game and steal it and whatnot. Um, for Burnley, a draw doesn't do too much because you look, you're looking at it, you know, despite the fact of both teams had... Um, Efforts in the first half, I mean, in the second half to steal the game. They didn't do enough. To be fair, I'm always on Pickford's back and I don't know how good Nick Pope is, but I think they were both in relatively decent form to prevent goals from going in, added goals from going in in in, in either side of the nets for them, respective sides. This is the first time Burnley and Everton have actually drawn in the Premier League within their 13th meeting. It's actually their first stalemate since August 1975, which also was a 1-1 draw at Turf Moor. I wasn't even alive. Um, and I know some of you are probably feeling old because you probably would. Um, Everton have never kept a clean sheet in have, have never kept a clean sheet in their seven Premier League away games against Burnley, and that that more or less continued. Burnley have only won once in their last eleven Premier League games. People scoring just six goals in the process, losing seven, um, drawing three, and winning just one. So again, form goes out of the window. But they're probably one of the only teams playing worse than us this season. Arsenal need to focus on grabbing 40 points. Moving away from that, and like I said, Burnley 1, Everton 1, Manchester City 2, Fulham 0, West Ham lost three goals to one against West Ham. I mean, against Manchester United, apologies. You also had Chelsea against Leeds. Chelsea had to come back from behind to claim that goal. You know, Zuma is a threat from all sorts of areas, and he seems to be someone that's chipping in with an okay amount of goals for Chelsea. Patrick Bamford, the former Chelsea lad, struck in the fourth minute and probably thought he was going to haunt them before, you know, the usual suspect, the talisman, the man not in form at this moment in time, Olivier Giroud, struck in the 27th minute to bring the game to a tie. Obviously, in the second half, Kurt Zuma and Christian Pulisic in added on time robbed the game for Chelsea, you know, and to be fair, Chelsea deserved their three points. They bounced back from that early scare. I did think they were open on a couple of occasions and they, they could have conceded again. Um, Chelsea have been on a bit uh, relative, uh, relatively decent uh, um, run of form prior to this game in terms of not conceding. Um, and it is what it is. They go marching on. That's a big three points for them, really and truly. There isn't much you could say. They came back from behind people. Um, you know, it was a bit of a calamitous goal that that they that Leeds took the lead. Um, but yeah, man, and again, when you're Chelsea or you're playing against Chelsea, I guess you have to consider the threat that they pose from set pieces and specifically Kurt Zuma. People, I don't think 
peak teams are because cause prior to this game, is a, a lot is made in the in the footballing world of Zuma's a threat from set pieces, and they didn't heed their lesson. So again, it's back to the drawing boards for Leeds. They probably thought they were coming to London to do a madness, and they didn't. Three goals, three points. It's Chelsea go marching on. Now Crystal Palace. I mean, Crystal Palace ran absolute riot on West Bromwich Albion. I, I saw too much. I'm seeing a Eze making man flip. I'm seeing Zaha doing it. You know, Benteke grabbed the brace. Zaha grabbed the base. Darnell Furlong, who I used to play football with, and um, used to play for my team. Can't lie, I used to think I, I not now, but I definitely think at the time I was better than him. It's just obviously that name Furlong. You've got a rich dad. <laughs> like it's a bit crazy. And um, we both I meant to go Luton as well, but it didn't happen. But either way, you know, Crystal Palace ran riot. Yeah, for large periods of the game, West Brom and Albion had had ten men, but it's no excuse. They got absolutely bopped. Colin Ganaga, the Chelsea loney, continued and got another goal and continued his decent form. Um, but it was it was a, it was atrocious, you know. Palace were Palace outclassed them all over the park, and you know West Bromwich Albion fans should be dejected. You know the way they were playing, there was no heart, there was no intent, steady and free fall. It looked like a game of kindergarten, really. Zaha goes marching on. Um, Benteke grabs a brace. Benteke doesn't score too often, so yeah, people. Palace have scored five games, five goals in an away game for the first time since they did that against Watford in two thousand and four. Crystal Palace manager Roy Hodgson has has won 11 Premier League matches against teams he's previously managed in the division. No manager has won more such matches. Um, he's also tied on 11 with Harry Redknapp. And I'll give you any clues for the next man. Mr. 40 points. You call him in when you want to stay in the league. Sam Allardyce, people. Um, and when you speak about headed goals, I know when you mention headed goals in the Premier League, everyone would think of Giroud. Giroud's the only player who has scored more with his head than Christian Benteke since the start of the 2012-13 season. Giroud has 31, Benteke has 27. So three points, you know, three points. Palace ran riot. They they got to go back to London in good spirits. You had Leicester, you know, Leicester. I mean, is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Jamie Vardy. And it was fantastic to see attacking play and a striker taking advantage of such. Sheffield United can't buy a win. They must have thought they were in for something. They could get something out of the game, be it a point at least. Because when Ayose Perez scored, Oli McBurney reacted two minutes later in the 26th minute. Before, like I said, they thought they were probably getting a, a point. You can't take your eyes off Jamie Vardy. You can't count out Jamie Vardy. And he breaks hearts, people. And with that being said, Brendan Rodgers, he's a specialist when it comes to away games. You know, you look at it, only Liverpool with 19 and Manchester City with 18 have won more Premier League away matches since Brendan Rodgers took charge of Leicester than the Foxes. Leicester, of course, Sheffield United's um, 10th Premier League defeat in each of the last two campaigns. Though um, though in that game, it was played the Blazers' 11th, um, 11th game of the season. Um, Sheffield United have become just a ninth different team within the football in within the English Football League in history to lose 10 or more of their 11 games in charge and how Chris Wilder still has his role I'm not too sure um, you know Sheffield United probably will go down with form like that I'm sure you all saw Liverpool run riot against Wolves defeat them four goals to nil and I think it was interesting when you look when you look at the lineup people it looked like um the gamble didn't pay off for, for, for Wolves in terms of staying with a back four. I thought they would have reverted to a five. I know you can say at times in the game it did change when you had um, Dendonka chipping in, but I don't think how they went about it 
was any effective. And you mean, I mean, they got outclassed, you know. Gigi Wijnaldum scored a cracking finish. Mohamed Salah just can't stop scoring. Matip got on the score sheet. And a fullback I rate in a, it very highly. And Nelson Semedo, you know, gave Liverpool their fourth and claimed their own goal. You know, Brighton versus Southampton. I'm sorry, but VAR, I'm not going to harp on about it. But once again, I don't understand how that penalty was given. You all know what I'm referring to. If not, re review the highlights. VAR needs to fix up. Danny Ings, you know, working his way back from injury, scored in the 81st minute, a penalty to cement three points for Southampton as they go into a game um, in at the weekend. Vestergaard struck in the 45th minute in a fight back after Brighton took the lead in the 26th minute, courtesy of a penalty and a goal from Gross. Shout out to James Wood-Prowse for scoring a, um, winning the penalty as well because I'm sure that means I get FPL points. Vestergaard. Now, Vestergaard going into Southampton. Arsenal not playing Southampton until next Wednesday. But he's someone I'm looking at with increased interest because you look at it, only Zuma has scored more from set pieces um, than him. And he scored today. And it's like Arsenal don't learn their lessons. We knew Son down the left-hand channel against Bellerin, where is a goal coming from. Vestergaard in the air could be something and whatnot. I felt unlucky for Brighton. I think they huffed and puffed and they definitely... Gave more than gave a lot to get more out of the game and whatnot. I think it was a good game for the neutrals to watch. There wasn't much in it in terms of shots and things, but Southampton did the business and got through. So with that being said, people, we might as well check the Premier League table as much as I don't want to look at it as an Arsenal fan. It's irrelevant to me, people. Sadly, you've got Spurs first with 24. You've got Liverpool second on goal difference with 24. Chelsea are in third place with 22 points. Fourth place, you've got Leicester. Apologies. Fifth place, Southampton. United in sixth. Manchester City are seventh. West Ham are eighth. Everton and Wolves are in ninth and tenth. Then you've got Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, Newcastle, Leeds, Arsenal are 15th. Let's focus on 40 points. Brighton are behind us. You've got Fulham in 17th. And the relegation battle is where I think it will stay personally if it continues. West Brom, West Brom are 19th with six points. Burnley have six points. And, you know, Sheffield United are rock bottom. 11 games, 10 defeats, one draw, a single point. You know, Kyle Chris Wilder still has his job, no matter how much I rate him and, and was fond of what he was doing last year, is a bit of a mockery, people. We'll have to see what happens in that regards, people. You know, the sack race is on, depending on what you're looking at. It could be Mikel Arteta, it could be Chris Wilder. Um, you know, there's even 100 to 1 bets in the bookies for Arsenal to, to get relegated. So there might be a cheeky pound, pound, a cheeky pound from myself put on that, really, as much as I don't want it. As we know, we've got Europe, Europe, European football. Let's start with the Europa League. We've got Bayer Leverkusen against Slavia Prague. You've got CSK Sofia against Roma. Standard Liège welcome Benfica. Arsenal travel to travel to Dundalk at 5:55 in two days' time. Leech Poznan welcome Rangers. PSV against AC Amonia. Also important to remember, these are the last fixtures of the groups. People AZ Alkmaar travel to Rijeka. Rapid Vienna against Molda. Pacau against Granada, um, Benshiva against against Nice, Napoli against um, Sociedad, Cluj will travel to Young Boys, Sparta Prague welcome AC Milan, Ludogrets against LSK, LASK. You know they got they got a point off of Spurs in the free free during the last game. Hoffenheim play Gent, Dynamo Zagreb against CSK Moscow, Celtic against Lille. Tel Aviv against Sivospor. Spurs welcome Antwerp at 10 at 8, 8, 8 p.m. after us. Braga against Zora. Wolfsburger against Feyenoord. 
Leberic against Red Star, Una Emre's Villarreal against Kat Yarabag, and you've got Leicester City against AE Kiafen. So enough of the Z-list um, European competition, people. And let's look at the Champions League now. Now, the big one for me, I'm pretty sure it's Juventus versus Barcelona and that's the game I'm got my you know I'm looking forward to watching that people Barcelona versus Juventus for me is the game of the week I know there isn't too much to play for and things like that I know there's been injuries I know both teams are through you know there's not there's no no chance that the, the drama in that group is between Dynamo Kiev and Ferricarvos because they're both on a point depending on who wins you can sneak a Europa League place so in the grand scheme of things there isn't much but I, I think I speak for most Juventus fans when I say when you're watching Juventus they're making games harder than it needs to be both in the league and definitely in, in the Champions League needing too many last minute winners not killing off teams Barcelona domestically have been a bit of a joke but in terms of the name it's Messi versus Ronaldo this is the game I'm looking forward to Barcelona have gone unbeaten in their last four meetings with Juventus in the away for Champions League winning two or three two of the three games in this run that occurred in the group stage um Juventus's only away victory against Barcelona in the UEFA Champions League came in a in April 2003 having failed to win either of their two trips there in the competition since December, since drawing one and losing one um, in 2016-17 and obviously in 17-18. Juventus haven't scored in any of their last four meetings with Barcelona in the Champions League. Barcelona have won more final group stage games in the Champions League than any other side in the competition, with the Spanish side winning 19 of their 27 such games. Juventus have won nine of their last 10 UEFA Champions League group stage matches. The one they failed to win was against Barcelona in this reverse fixture, as you lot know, on the second match day of this season. So that's the one for me. Canzon's door against Chelsea. Chelsea welcomed them. You know, Callum Hudson-Odoi will probably be hoping to get some minutes in that game. Um, you know, Chelsea are through. They're doing what they need to do. But again... First and second is not a foregone conclusion. The goal difference means it's impossible unless a massive slide happens for Seville. Um, so they will remain top, but things can happen, you know. Krasen's door, I'm ho I guess they're hoping that Seville does them a favour so they can get into the Champions League. So the group might be dead for Chelsea. It's not dead for people within their groups. You've got Lazio welcoming Club Bruges. You've got Zenit St. Petersburg welcoming um, Borussia Dortmund. First place Borussia Dortmund on 10 points against bottom Zenit St. Petersburg. Hopefully Mikoko gets to start and we see a couple other young players. Keen to see Jude Bellingham and Gio Reyna and Mikoko and the rest of it, you know. You know, Haaland, of course, if fit. I'm sure he's injured. I could be wrong. Um, so, yeah. RB Leipzig welcome Manchester United. Manchester United, who have done all right in this group stage. You know, they've got good results against RB Leipzig, against PSG and against Istanbul. The problem is, you know, they messed up the game at Old Trafford against PSG. They obviously away in Turkey. They shake themselves. Leipzig, they beat up Leipzig at, at Old Trafford. But now they travel... They travel to to Leipzig, and it's all to play for, you know. It's all to play for again. Group the group the the the, the goal difference change it changes things, people. But you know, and I don't want to say it's a foregone conclusion that PSG beat Istanbul because PSG have been booky. You know, if PSG don't win and Leipzig and and United do, then PSG are out of the group stages, and you could potentially have Real Madrid and PSG in the groups. And you'd imagine how could Tuchel and Zidane keep their positions? Um, Man United are top. It's what they make. They win the game. They do what they need to do. They remain top and they go through. Three teams need a win. 
You know, three teams need a win and two of those teams are playing against each other. PSG could even sneak top of the group depending on what happens. Leipzig could sneak top of the group. It's it's it's, it's a matter. I think United are still going to go through. I think United will do this thing, but um, it's a crazy one. I think Leipzig will be in the Europa League. I think the other two will advance, but again, you don't know. I'm sure United fans are listening to this podcast, but they're not hearing it until, you know, 9.30 or 9.45 or whatever come the end of the game. Um, today is when they'll be comfortable. But yeah, man, you've got Dynamo Kiev against Ferencarvos. Like I said, that's the battle of the Europa League in that group between Barcelona and Juventus. PSG welcome Istanbul. Rennes against Seville. Tomorrow, you've got Michland against Liverpool. You've got Ajax against Atlanta. Bayern Munich against Lokomotiv Moscow. Real Madrid against Borussia Mönchengladbach. And again, that group there is a Mazzolini, people, because there's still a lot to be decided. You know, Shakhtar Donetsk have been giving themselves a good account of themselves. They are second place. And they actually deserve, in my opinion, to advance to the next round. And they probably should if they win. Now, <clears throat> it's Inter versus Shakhtar. It's Mönchen, Mönchen, Borussia Mönchengladbach against Real Madrid. Now, again... If you thought Man United's group is tasty, this group maybe not as tasty, but it's also tasty because, ironically, you know, again, Inter Milan need a lot to happen for them. But if they win, they could sneak second place. Again, Inter Milan would need to win and they're probably hoping for... Well, they need Borussia Mönchengladbach to do them a favour. For Shakhtar, you know, they're playing Inter Milan. They beat Inter Milan, they're through. Gladbach, if they beat Real Madrid, they've cemented it, people. There's a lot to play for, you know. Gladbach have eight points. Shakhtar have seven. Real Madrid have seven. Inter Milan have five. If Shakhtar, if Madrid win, they're on 10 points and they go top, you know, depending on what happens. If, if, if you know, Real Madrid are probably hoping that they win and Inter win because Madrid would go top, Inter would sneak second, you know, Gladbach would go third and it'd be harsh for Shakhtar because they'd be out of the group. But there's a lot of chopping and changing. You know, the goal difference obviously helps Gladbach. It doesn't help. It doesn't help Inter Milan or, or Real Madrid, ironically. And also Shakhtar are on minus seven. So everyone that misses out on the Champions League later stages should be hard done by. Between Man United's group and this group, it's fantastic for the neutrals. You know, as an Arsenal fan, we're not involved in any of this. You've got RB Salzburg against Atletico Madrid. Lucas Torreira, Arsenal Noli against Shabozlai FC for me. Want to see Karim Adinyemi. Keen to see what happens in this game, people. Again, you'd expect Salzburg to go out and go into the, champ go into the Europa League, sorry. But it's not a foregone conclusion. If Moscow beat Bayern Munich, as much as an upset that is, you know, you're out of the competition. For Salzburg, if they win, they advance to the next round. You know, literally, Atletico are on six points in second place. You know, there's one game week to play and there's a couple groups that are not foregone conclusions. Bayern Munich have done their job. They're through, they're laughing. I'd expect to see some young players. I would love Jamal Musiala, like last week, to start again. I mean, the same way in this group, um, I would like Salzburg. I probably won't because I must win. I'd like Karim Adinyemi to play. Um, so there's a lot to be a lot to play for in that group, people. Can't write off anybody at all. You've got Manchester City against Marseille. You know, again, Manchester City is is it, between them and Porto. It's just a battle for first and second. 
City have 13, Porto have 10. Who wants to be first and second? For Olympiacos, they're probably hoping that they can beat Porto and City can do them a favour so that they can stay in the in the Europa League. And likewise, Marseille are probably hoping for a result. Um, as I just said, you know, you've got Inter Milan against Shakhtar the next and you've got Olympiacos against Porto. So there's a bunch of European action to take in. There's going to be a bunch of football in that regards, people. Moving away from, from that and a couple of other stuff, I'm sure you all saw... Um, Sadly, sad, sadly, um, in the relation to Millwall's game over the weekend, I'm sure you all saw fans booing the Black Lives Matter knees in protest. And I mean, I'm sorry if you boo that, you are racist. Do not give me that bullshit about it's the organisation we don't applaud. Last time I checked, none of these players endorsed, they endorsed the saying Black Lives Matter. There's nothing wrong with saying Black Lives Matter in the same way everyone's lives matter. So there shouldn't be a problem. They're not saying that white lives or brown lives or whatever lives don't matter as much. You're just saying black lives. And to be fair, when you see what's happening, it's, it's clear black lives don't matter as much. You know, you are racist if you have a problem. You're talking about political messages. What the hell is a poppy then? And I'm not saying you can't use the poppy. But come on, don't pick and choose. Do not pick and choose. There's when the, These players have never said they endorse the, the organisation or the company that is Black Lives Matter. They're talking about the message, you know. So to see them booed is a disgrace. I don't want to hear it's a small minority because it's a bunch of them. And it continues the connotations with Millwall. I mean, it's a disgraceful club. It's, it's filled with disgusting fans. I know there's probably some decent fans there, but all the stereotypes that Millwall get, you can't. You can't blame them, and and as usual, you know, racism gets 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 you nowhere. They lost to Derby, and shout out to Wayne Rooney and Liam Rosenoff for the the way they spoke about it. But it's upsetting. It's not upsetting because we know this. We know what football does. All of these people probably have normal jobs. Some of them are probably policemen. Some of them might even be doctors. Normal customer serving facing jobs. Just normal members of society. So to know that these people hiding in and amongst society, you never know their true views and come awake on a match day is what is what shocks me the most. Because that could be your local postman. You think he's cool, you know. It's crazy. It really is crazy. And it's this, it, it, you know, you're telling them black lives don't matter. Shout out to Colin Kazin Richards for standing up and doing the hunting as well, the, the fist, because you should, you know, boo as much as you want. You lost Millwall. I really hope you get relegated and you disband as a club. And I think fans need to think about what they're doing. You see him play. How do the black Millwall players play? Just wait until these racist fans see their academy. They're plastered with black players, you know. And this should serve as a reminder to fans of all clubs, especially Millwall, because they're the example. Fans don't give a crap about you. They might like you. They might applaud you. But if you're, you know, if if if, if you as you're young, let's just say you're 27 years of age, you're scoring goals for Millwall, you're an idol, and a Millwall fan has a daughter of the same age, and you take a shine to his daughter, he might like you as a footballer, but he doesn't want you with his daughter. And this is what tell don't tell me education is key because they know what's silly. This is they know what they're doing is silly. You know, they know that nobody is endorsing the Black Lives Matter, um, the, the organisation. It's just a statement. I personally don't even agree with the knees and whatnot, because for me, that's a separate conversation. But what is it doing? You know, every game we should be keep raising the message. What are we doing? Because people are not taking it in. We did Arsenal did it in the weekend. Am I remembering that? You know, it's just a feel good, do nothing slogan now. Just doing just doing knees and that for the rest of it. But it, if you have if you genuinely have a problem with that, I'm sorry, but you are racist. You know, apparently footballers have spoken about walking off the field as a, a well, Millwall players have spoken about walking off the field. Players always say that he had the opportunity to do it. It wasn't done. Apparently, Millwall players will link arms with opponents QPR at the den. Obviously, this is all feel good. You think Millwall people connected care? You think their fans care? 
They just care about the club looking in a bad image. So is it any coincidence you're seeing on their Twitter a lot of stuff to do with their black players and, and, and kicking out racism and the rest of it? And they're now saying link arms, you know? It's, it's, it's disgraceful and it's just the latest thing in line and that we're dealing with is you know what in 2020 if you have to do if you have to if I have to explain to someone how the message is different from the organization or why black lives matter these it's, it's it's designed these people do these things designed to take away this is why I don't discuss these sort of things up on my platform or with the people them yes but I'm have no I have no interest in educating the the ignorant they don't want to be educated they know full well that nobody's endorsing the the, the organization it's a message they simply don't care. They don't care because some people can afford to turn a blind eye to racism. Some people can say, why are we talking about racism? Why don't we shut up about it? Why are we leave it alone? We're all cool because they don't have to deal with it. They don't have to put on different voices when they're on the phone or when they're interviewed. They don't have to tick that they're white um, um, to get more of a chance of getting an interview. They don't have to. They're not told you're being aggressive because you disagree with something or you're antisocial because you're quiet. You know, you're not mocked for your hair. You're not called unprofessional for several things. You're not told you have attitude problems, you know. No, I guarantee you go ask them Millwall young players because it happens at my club, it happens at Spurs. I'm not going to name things, but players are told they have a bad attitude because of how they are. You know, they don't care, people. They do not care. They don't care. Hopefully, Millwall as a football club burns to the ground. I hope to God your players like they keep like keeps happening. You know, they keep getting picked up by Manchester City and the rest of them. You know. Use these clubs. And obviously, if in my opinion, no black player should want to play for Millwall. It should, but I understand you all want to be professional footballers or play. So use this club. Go and get the big boy contracts. Leave young players. Leave as soon as a big club takes interest, you know. Don't sign contracts. You owe these fans nothing because that's what they think of you, you know. And for Millwall, they're own players, you know. Even if you don't agree with the statement, keep quiet out of respect for your players. So it's not a small minority. You know, apparently the club are ready to use CCTV to root out supporters guilty. Yeah, right. This is all the feel good, do nothing. Um, players apparently still believe the knee is an important gesture as they should, people, as they should. Um, moving away from that, though, and finally, people, um, final thing I wanted to speak about. There, there isn't much in the footballing world to discuss beyond the reviews and the previews and whatnot. Paul Pogba's agent has come out, Mino Rinola. Now, apparently more words are supposed to come out later or come out today, courtesy of stuff, but he's more or less threw down the gauntlet. And if I was a United fan, I'm not going to lie, I'd be tired of hearing about Paul Pogba and whatnot off the field. Apparently, you know, we all, it's important to remember he scored his first goal of the season against West Ham on, on Saturday. He's only made eight appearances this year. He's been in and out of the team. His contract runs until June 2022. Um... And, and Mino wants to get him out of there. Apparently, he said he has to change teams. He needs a change of air. He has a contract that will expire in a year and a half. But I think the best solution for parties is to sell him in the next market. Um, and he also said it was Pogba's intention to not um, extend his deal. And apparently, he also said he um, the old Trafford club, which relations are excellent, knows that they will risk losing him on a free transfer, given that for the moment it is not the player's intention to extend the contract. If someone doesn't understand it, they understand very little about football. In any case, let let them blame me if Pogba leaves next summer. So what has that told you? First and foremost, it signalled the intent that... In fact, I will say first and foremost, United and Pogba need to divorce. Pogba's a quality player. He's a world-class player. But, you know, the storylines, there's too much baggage and, you know, they just need to move forward with it. Go and find another Paul Pogba. You know, he's come to United. He's won trophies. It's not been, you know, the Pogba who left as a boy returning as a man, prodigal son, Premier League stuff, you know. 
it hasn't worked out. He has underwhelmed. He has underwhelmed. It's exactly like Ozil. He's underwhelmed at Arsenal. He's underwhelmed at, at Man United. That being said, when you sign these players, you've got to build things around them. That being said, they are scapegoated. But at times, you know, the consistency hasn't been there from Paul Pogba. He's 27 and I, I haven't really seen the, the improvement in terms of consistency from him. Like on ability, he's up there with Thiago and Kevin De Bruyne off the top of my head as the best centre midfielders in the league. But I'm probably having both of them ahead of him. I like Pogba, so it'll be a bias thing. But they're more consistent. There's more intelligence in, in every decision. Out of 10 passes, I'm not talking about the spectacular passes. Best midfielders do the right things all the time. And Pogba can do it, but he doesn't do it to that level. And at 27, the penny needs to drop. And I think Pogba's one of those players. He will play better when he's around better players. He's not like... He's not going to fly into tackles and turn United back into what they want. He's not going to get 100 goals and assists like we expect. I think the club and Pogba need to divorce. Pogba needs a new... You know, he's 27. You've still got significant years. Go and play somewhere where you believe in. Go and go and experience a fresh environment Man United move forward without Pogba because away from ability it's just too much baggage you don't want to keep having to deal with this for me as well what does this tell you this signals the intent of what we know he's unhappy probably doesn't want to play and he wants to move now the problem with Paul Pogba is his form you know if you're going to go for players at this moment in time you're going to go for Mbappe you're going to go for Haaland you know different positions you might even go for Camavinga before Pogba now you know because what goes against Pogba is he's not informed. There is COVID and clubs don't really have the, the money to splash. So United might be making a loss. The only thing United will get rid is, you know, if he doesn't want to extend his contract, unless you're going to offer him mad money, you can't lose him for free. So they'd have to sell him either in January or the summer. And I think Mino Rinola has signaled the intent that Pogba wants to get out of there. Now, that tells me that Pogba's probably given up on this season in the sense of Pogba is a fantastic pro. Pogba does want to play and whatnot. But at the same time, you, you, you must know, play again, Mino Rinola's always been talking. So to a degree, you know, Pogba's had to get on with it. Ole Gullasolsha can separate what the agent is saying from the player. But this tells me that Pogba's potentially willing to sit on his hands for, for at least a month until January or at least to the end of the year because this some managers might alienate you because of your man, because of your agent. And I know Mino Rinola's a bit of a wild cannon, a loose cannon, a wild gun and does what he wants. But to a degree, he's not going to come out of this without consulting Pogba or having Pogba's consultation maybe they've tried to go about this privately this is the next step in getting him away so Pogba's probably con um, condoned this to which it's not perfect timing you've just scored a goal your team's come from behind and now there's this and this raises the prospect of you know Pogba I don't say I don't think it should be this but you know there's also the prospect of fans being Pogba if he ever plays and whatnot you know Pogba has caught a lot of heat from fans so I don't think this is the wisest decision but this signals intent that they want to get Pogba out of the situation will he return to Juventus will he go to Barcelona will he go to um Real Madrid, who knows, people? Apparently, Zidane was a top target of his people. So we'll have to see. And I think it's damning. Pogba is unhappy. He is no longer able to express himself as he would like and as expected of him, which is quite upsetting, people. It really is upsetting. So we'll have to see in relation to Paul Pogba. But, you know, it will be a loss for the Prem because you need the best footballers in here. You know, we've got Pogba, you've got Kevin De Bruyne, you know, you've got Thiago now. You've got a bunch of them. It'll be a loss for the Premier League. And... For me, it's sad, man, because Pogba's a great footballer, so it's sad that he's had to come to this, but we'll have to see how the situation develops. But for now, people, this is the end of the DG podcast. I think I've given you lots of quality in this 40-odd minutes. I hope I have. If I have an apologies, you know, please check out the YouTube content. There's a bag of content. I'll be back again in relation to the DG podcast on Friday as we review the Europe European midweek games. And obviously, we look ahead to the games expected over the weekend.
people. On that note, though, I'm going to get out of here. It's always a pleasure. People, thank you for listening. Make sure you're following. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure your, you know, links are in the bio for all other socials that you want to follow me on. Support the movement. DG Nation, I'm out.